0: You know what that means? No. (laughs) All right, well, welcome everyone to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rocks and rocking out. So a brief overview of this evening's episode will include the intros and hellos, followed by a triple junction and a new news. Our main discussion will dive deep into caves. So we're going to do our second episode on caves. And between the bars of our main discussion, we present to you another Mineral Minute. And before signing off, we'll close things out with a new and improved That Freaking Rocks, maybe. (laughs) So a big thank you to all of our listeners out there for allowing us to be played between your earballs and for spending your time with us each week. If you'd like to reach out to us, whether it be for episode ideas like this episode, nope. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> nope. Questions you were wanting questioned, or just to tell us about all the times we were wrong, you can reach us at geologyotr at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram at geology on the rocks podcast hashtag your geology daddies. <laughs> so it does look like if things are squared away over here, so without further ado to all of you over there, I'm your host, James the Geologist. And I'm Brian Baggins. And this
1: is Geology on the, the rocks. rocks. Hey, man. Ooh. Huh. Hello. Hey. Eventually, hey,
0: it all works out eventually, right? Or it all...
1: what it was all, it? What I was don't it? know. It was
0: our very first episode. It all begins eventually. That's what it
1: was. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's up? Oh, man, we had to be away from each other for yeah. too long. For too
0: long, yeah, because yeah. it's been, um, I guess September's, I guess we forgot how I, I don't know, like I guess as things went back to being, I guess, a little bit normal, like yeah, <laughs> life, <laughs> but I, I guess we kind of forgot the hustle and bustle of life,
1: yeah, because I mean, we started this during the pandemic, yeah, um, and
0: it was kind of just, uh, I think everything was in limbo, yeah, so the, the podcast had to go in limbo as we kind of adjusted back, but we're back. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm happy that we are back.
1: Same. Yeah.
0: So it, how was your, uh, I guess your busy September. Tell us yeah. a little about what you've been doing and what you've been up to. Cause so, I know we did an episode, but then we kind of just like, we're like, Hey, it's yeah, starting. We we're like, we, were like, <laughs> it we was can totally make
1: this happen. And it just yeah, couldn't. It, it did. Yeah. So like September is always the worst month for me. Cause that's, that's actually our end of year. So we, our new year for the federal government starts on October 1st. Right. Right. So we have to like spend all the money, we have to get all the projects done justify get it yeah. all oh my god yeah 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 and I get so you. it's it's a nightmare but then so i had field work i had an album release i yeah. had a conference i spoke at and was then it two conferences it was one conference but two papers or presentations okay so, so was
0: that the san antonio so you didn't have to yeah. go up to, i thought you did go up to kansas or was that where you're
1: mapping I, I did oklahoma it was for it was mapping okay yeah.
0: okay i got my
1: wires crossed amongst in. the water moccasins hmm. there were so many <laughs> were there yeah i'm yeah. sure like all that rain
0: that we up there when it was all rainy? It had rained before. Okay.
1: Yeah. Man, that sounds, but that's exciting. So what was your talk over? So I gave one over how to navigate doing paleo flood studies, a COVID-19 world. So you can't travel. So do you let your projects sit Oh yeah. and just become stale? Or do you go back to what we learned in, I guess I would say like physical geology or maybe, yeah, I guess it would be, but land forms by topography. Okay. And so you're able to, once your eye kind of becomes open to that, it's like, okay, well, there's a, a nice fluvial terrace tread and there's an alluvial fan coming over and you start to identify geomorphic landforms. Yeah. And then you can kind of tell a, uh, a preliminary history of what's yeah. going on. And
0: so. that's all I guess we're trying to do is tell little stories of what, yeah. if what's happened. Right. Yeah. That's what I keep trying to tell. Keep trying to i guess for my students to come across it's like we're just telling a story it's yeah. like nothing's absolute no. but you know the more evidence that we have or things that we can identify to tell the stories of everything so absolutely yeah so my my uh it's been i don't <laughs> I mean, you sound like you were traveling a lot because I know your show. I went to your album release yeah, show at, that was fun. At, at Maine at Southside, right? Yeah, Maine yeah. at Southside. But then the very next day, like <laughs> you drove down to Austin and did a show. Yeah. And yeah. then what, that Monday you drove back and then you had to drive back down I to San drove Antonio.
1: I <laughs> Sunday and then I drove to San Antonio. Then I drove back and then I went to Oklahoma. Yeah, I, mean, and sounds... I was supposed to go to New Braunfels, but we just were like, we don't have time.
0: So. That sounds crazy. Yeah, I know uh, a friend of the podcast, uh, Greta, Dr. Bowling. Yeah. Like we did a, a we were recorded our conference on Friday Yeah, yeah. over uh, how we think that the, the program that we have with the Marine Creek Land Scholars is kind of like this place-based education, but it's informing, I guess, even that they don't go on into STEM education, but at least they will hopefully gain a appreciation for the environment and kind of just right. be aware of everything with that. So we did a conference. I've been in the throes of writing a paper, so wow, I, I fully, this semester was like, so I've been taking this like uh, qualitative class, right? It's like my brain is like yeah. I was so <laughs> freaked out by, it, but uh, it, I'm actually enjoying qualitative of work. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's
1: not so. It's not. it's, it's gives you it more intense as quantitative. It's. Stuff.
0: I, I I would argue that it's like more intense because it's just like time oh, intensive. And yeah, you have to read yeah. a lot. So what I'm doing is I'm working with another student, but we both teach in higher education. Mm. So we are writing a collaborative autoethnography about how the how COVID has impacted the way that we approach teaching and how we form connections with students. yeah. Because I do feel like there's this weird kind of, I can't, this undercurrent that it's just, it's real hard to connect with the students. And I don't know if the students feel that way too. Like it's kind of I like, because like the anxiety and how the they've been forced online and then forced back into the yeah, classroom. Yeah. And there's a lot of uncertainty. So we are going to explore it, I guess, from our point of view in this kind of context, but like situating, like having like the validity of doing the research, right? even right. though it's our story, but it's how we're situated in it and how we're come to make meaning of all of it, so.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, like, so, we're doing every, like, so I know it's just a class assignment, but we are doing it, we're writing it as if we're going to, I mean, we're going to try and get it published. You so. should, yeah. Yeah, I know. So do act. you,
1: like, is it strictly from the instructor's perspective or do you interview students or?
0: No, 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 so it's like the the autoethnography, so it's like we're writing oh, it. Yeah, yeah. and okay. But what we're doing a lot of is, uh um journaling like every Mm -hmm. time and then we're taking documents that we've gotten can use as artifacts like what the students have said. Okay. and add it into it. But That's we're really kind of doing it like in this unique way that we're doing it. I don't know. If there's like this juxtaposition because we're doing it like almost like a text based is our is our motive. Hmm. You know, it's like so even well, though it we fits talk in the subject nicely. Yeah, I know. And it's kind of like this weird <laughs> juxtaposition how this uh, technology kind of has made it like, I don't know, more distant, but we're using this this technology to tell like kind of like this personal like journey. through right. it all. I don't know. But yeah. And then also uh, not to <laughs> belabor the the intros, but uh, I got <laughs> um, I put I put in I have enough hours to be uh, you know, go put in for assistant professor.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's pretty sweet. Is that like tenure track then? Yeah. Yeah. I think,
0: I guess at the community college level, but yeah. Yeah. So, and then even though I'm not getting it specifically in geology, like, um, I think I've have enough hours from doing other things to qualify. Cause I'm the education is for like the, the pedagogy and all that and teaching. Yeah. So I'm out in front of it. Oh, and then I'm going on a business trip on, uh, the 17th. A
1: business trip. Yeah. For
0: TCC. Really?
1: Yeah. (laughs) They're (laughs) They're pulling you into the upper echelon.
0: Yeah. So we're going to, there there are five faculty or five, uh, because they're redesigning our workspaces to like this open format. And I don't think anybody's happy about it, but we're going up there to uh, talk with the people that are designing it. So I figured, you know, anything, everything that I've read, like in my, like, especially in my organizational theory, like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if it has to do with that, but I feel like just if I am going to not, be happy about it. Like I'm going to do everything I can to be a part of the process. So I'm not, you know, people bitch about, I think a lot of people bitch about like, oh, but they never do anything about it. I'm trying to walk the walk. Like, you know.
1: No. Yeah. To not just have displacement. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah, so cool. But that that's That's um, awesome. That's what I have on my news so it's kind of all of this happening all at once <laughs> and then, Yeah. Oh, I mean, but I was going to say what I have done as I'm putting my e-packet together for cuz I know like you went through the promotion like uh process like oh, I'm yeah. starting that, but it's like a oh. year it takes me a year really to do this whole thing. But I started uh what do you talk? citing all of our <laughs> podcast really because yeah this is a form of these are publications yeah so I have them all <laughs> cited don't, don't cite the ones
1: that we got a little toasty on no like
0: no I haven't asked credit so someone uh one of my students I use our podcast for extra credit like they write a page summary and it was do not mind if I do and it was oh, the one God. where you had the, oh, the blueberry Damn it!
1: <laughs> what was it blueberry old fashioned yeah blueberry old fashioned yeah she was like
0: one. what'd she write she uh <laughs> she wrote she's like and there's nothing better than a drunk geologist just, yeah, it's the only way. All that's the, how we uh, how let we me do. Um, let me see if I can find exactly what she said. <laughs> Here it is. Overall, the episode was about minerals as well as rocks, which was explained to us by a drunk geologist. <laughs> if you ask me, uh, that is the best kind of geologist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't wow. know there was anything other Great. than drunk geologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. That's awesome. Well, well then, um, <laughs> I guess. Yes. Yeah, so, so we had a little bit of catching up to do. So yeah. a lot of, I mean, a little bit of that was catch all up, but also therapeutic yeah, for us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so cheers uh, another cheers, man. <laughs> episode 37. 37? it's 30 yeah it's
1: 37
0: 36 well 36 was uh the one <laughs> oh, wait, about natural right. disasters
1: yeah this is wrong yeah yeah episode 32 30- on season four
0: yeah yeah crazy wow. or is it season five yeah. no season four Season four yeah. okay yep 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 y'all know better than us so well then that <laughs> will take us into a little bit of let me get you this going all right. Well, since we are talking about caves today, I found this article. It's called Tuberculosis in Mammoth Cave. So I know we talked a little bit about it last week is that uh, the Mammoth Cave National Park in central Kentucky is home to the world's largest known cave system. So the we know that the chambers of the subterranean passageway reflects the park's extensive and varied history. But did you know in 1839, Dr. John Croghan of Louisville, Kentucky, who suffered from turkey below... <laughs> tuberculosis. Oh, I just did it again. Just remember, it just reminds me of you. She she kept saying that. Uh, oh, talking. You were talking about something about moro, and I was like moral, moral. Oh, she got God, mad. Yeah. But he suffered tuberculosis, and then he pur- purchased the mammoth cave property for ten thousand dollars. So at a time that was like really minimal uh, medical knowledge of the treatment existed for the white plague, also known as tuberculosis right but he bought it for ten thousand dollars and then what he did is that it's people claim to i guess feel better after going down into the caves for a while yeah but right so what do we know about caves Uh, that they're damp and moist and it did absolutely (laughs) no good so like you know people went in with this idea that oh this is gonna be good for us so um what ultimately happened is that it didn't cure it because they didn't know. <laughs> the experiment lasted about five months from the autumn of 1842 to 1843. So while the cool cave settings conformed to the treatment standards of the time, it un- the unventilated damp environment made the disease worse. <laughs> so like his yeah. patients, Dr. Krogan ultimately passed of tuberculosis in 1849. But I thought that was pretty uh, pretty cool. They had these, um, I guess, tuberculosis huts inside the cave. Where they kind of uh, hung out and tried to do experiments thinking that they would get better. But um, alas, that they did not. They failed at
1: that attempt. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, but yeah. Like, what? Yeah. So, so he spent all that money and then... Yeah, well, because I, I guess, you
0: know, uh, people went down there thinking like, oh, hey, I feel good. And then, you know, not knowing that tuberculosis. Right. Uh, the, all the, the things with that. So, but... I guess there was something about the, the hollow coffee coughing echoing throughout the chambers as well. It's kind of a, a, I guess that would be a, a, I don't know. I couldn't even imagine.
1: <laughs> Just Yeah. It's like in mineral wells, like they, people used to go stay there all the time because the they would go there on like their deathbed. Right. Yeah. And they'd be like, Oh, if you bathe in the waters, it's, it's the same kind of concept, I guess. Yeah. But, but you're right. Like if a cave is still doing well, it's going to have, some humidity right so. yeah and that's probably not the
0: best for <laughs> uh, especially you know and it's not it's not what do you call it circulating
1: right yeah or not well at least not
0: well at least because we'll we're talking about uh, caves today
1: and sorry that's I okay literally like my thing closed I, my I've care. done that I? but yeah
0: yeah so we'll get you a little bit of uh, uh, music going I don't have any news
1: oh you don't have any news no. okay so we can just end with yours I was gonna talk about <laughs> cattle potty training <laughs>
0: No, I mean, will you at least, I, <laughs> at
1: least tease us for next week? Okay, cool. So uh, I didn't really have a lot of time to do a new news, but but I do want to give y'all a heads up on I've, I'm back on the weird animal stuff. That's that's so, what I'm talking about. So next week, be prepared. I want to talk to you guys about cattle potty training. Cattle cattle potty <laughs> training.
0: Hey, speaking of cattle, I actually used something from the podcast in my class today. We were talking about methane. Mm. And then it, I automatically it brought me to I'm like, hey, well, how can I relate it to like, you know, real world issues? And I yeah. was like, oh, cow hey, let's let's cow farts. <laughs> and um, I farts. talked about the uh, how uh, Brazil is coming out of being like a third oh, world country yeah. and their dietary changes. So they're converting a lot of that to make space for the cattle. We talked about this in one of our episodes. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, yeah. So I mean, like, I'm not here to say it's right or wrong because, you know, that's their country. <laughs> no one told us back then. Right. But I was like, but.
1: But. They're, <laughs> they're, they have like, they do, whether or not they have a real responsibility, they do. And, oh, yeah, and, for sure. You know I mean, for sure. But, you know, we did talk about that, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I <laughs> thought it was cool.
0: But all right, well then, let me get back over here, and then I guess we can um, go
1: underground.
0: We can go, yeah. Let's let's go underground. <laughs> the, the underground episode, yeah. Hey, I was gonna, yeah. The underground episode. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's so underground. Tales
1: from the underground. Yeah,
0: because it's almost Halloween. We should do. Almost,
1: Ooh, we should do something spooky.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about some like creature may oh oh oh, <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> oh, man. Comatites? Kermat- no, no, we can. If you want to, hey, man, it's the, the, I don't let me dominate these, but so, okay. So today we're going to talk about caves. So, um, I know we talked about this a little bit on the last episode is like, we're, so we're going to talk a little bit about the, the science and caves, but then we're going to talk about how some early geologists, um, or speleologists
1: kind of went in and studied some of these caves, which is kind of like why I got into geology a little bit. Yeah. Just like that Explorer mode. Yeah. But it, Can you imagine like, no, no, I can't. (laughs) You don't know if you're coming out. No. And
0: then what, so, you know, if you've ever gone on a tour in a cave at some point, they turn off all the lights and just, it's absolutely, it's, it's so mind numbing. It's like, I I can't even,
1: did they just find Flint and like spark and I, I
0: I, I, I don't know. And then what happens if you're like an explorer and you're deep down in there and then your thing gets wet. Or you know oh, your torch, yeah. and then like, what, how, how do you get back if you don't have some kind of guide system? You have to, yeah, Which, yeah, yeah. I guess we'll, yeah. So about. what we're going to talk about? I know the last time we started, we started the discussion of caves, but we're going to further it. So it's the the speleology special part two. We might call it something else, but um, so we're first we're going to talk about the characteristics of the underground atmosphere inside the caves. So it kind of related to the the tuberculosis, but. <laughs> So many of the familiar roadside signs advertising caves open to the public, carry the phrase, come underground and cool off, right? So this is a reasonable advice for, you know, during the heat of the summer, the temperature of these caves are indeed, they're pleasantly cool, right? They feel great.
1: Yeah, and if the tourists were you know, to visit in the winter instead of the summer, however, the signs would probably read come underground and warm up. Yeah. Because during the winter, these same caves are far warmer than the surface. So they, the cave temperatures are nearly constant throughout the year.
0: Yeah. So that, that perceived change is due to the the temperature outside and us going in. Yeah. Right. So then I say, let's, I guess, kind of go into the controls of the cave temperature itself. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so then uh, we can think of the air movement in and out of a cave is so slow that within a few hundred meters of the entrance of the cave, air ordinarily takes on the same temperature as the rock. Mm-hmm. So the, the temperature of the deep parts of the limestone caves is therefore controlled by the temperature of the limestone itself, which is in turn approximately equal to the average annual temperature of the surface
1: we we also need to keep in mind that the daily and, and seasonal temperature fluctuations of the surface they tend to diminish as heat moves down through the rock So you have like a gradient yeah yeah know.
0: yeah 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 so right so a 30 degrees Celsius mm-hmm. temperature fluctuation between day and night is reduced to a fluctuation of less than one degree Celsius at a depth of 57 centimeters below mm-hmm. the surface and likewise a fluctuation throughout the year of about a 30 degree Celsius is reduced to about one degree Celsius at a depth of 11 meters. Because
1: caves commonly lie deeper than 11 meters yeah <laughs> they ordinarily they have annual temperature variations of less than one degree centigrade and so the surface temperature on which the cave temperature depends it's chiefly determined by the latitude of the cave and its altitude above sea level
0: okay so the latitudes and attitudes <laughs> got <love> that attitude <laughs> yeah no so the
1: latitude and altitude yeah so out
0: alt- latitudes they're they, they'll, they'll change the amount of solar radiation thereby affecting the daily temperatures because of that you know the the 23 and a half degrees uh, yeah
1: yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we see this in average temperature of caves near the southern border of the United States. It's about twenty degrees Celsius, and yeah. then near the northern border, it's closer to five degrees. Yeah, right. So then, then, then the
0: altitude will also have an effect on temperature too, with that environmental lapse rate, right?
1: Right, right. And the effect of altitude, it can easily be seen by two Colorado caves near one another and at approximately the same latitude. So, one's Fly Cave. It's at an altitude of nineteen hundred twenty meters. (laughs) Yeah. And it has a temperature of 13 degrees Celsius, whereas Spanish cave, it's at an altitude of 3,630 meters. And that has a temperature of only two degrees centigrade.
0: Man, so that's that's a pretty significant difference right there. So we removed the latitude variable, which I guess to us is going to indicate a gradient of about six degrees per thousand meters. So then the the temperature of middle latitude limestone caves for which the the locations and the altitudes are known and can be approximated by using the following equation of degrees (laughs) Celsius equals Thirty-eight minus zero point six L minus zero point zero zero two H, where L is the latitude in degrees and H is the altitude in meters. But, but. there's always a but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always a but, right? <laughs> I like big buttes, and I cannot uh, lie. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah.
1: That's, when, that's the when. the butte here. It's that other factors besides latitude and altitude affect temperature of certain caves, so we couldn't make it that simple, right? Yeah, we never can. But since water is more efficient than air in transporting heat. The temperature effect of a stream extends much deeper into a cave than that of what what air currents will.
0: Yeah. So, knowledge is about the properties of dihydrogen oxide uh, strikes again. Boom. Good old Die <laughs> I don't know. I H2O. heard some, like,
1: speaking of drunk geologists, I heard, like, this guy, like, trying. He was, like, trying to say cool ways of saying different compounds. Oh, it yeah. It was, like, hilarious to hear him slur more and more. In the <laughs> this is what we do at conferences. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. One of them. Was like, he was like trying to say oxygen, and it, well, the way I just failed reminded yeah. me of that. <laughs> oh, I can see. You know. Die owl. Yeah. <laughs> I don't
0: know. <laughs> so, so we know that caves that receive larger quantities of snowmelt water in the spring have much lower temperatures than normal for caves of that particular altitude and latitude.
1: Yeah. And another factor, it would include that caves under north facing slopes, right, would presumably be a little cooler than caves under a sunny south facing slope. But the temperature difference is small. It's not really been studied to a great extent.
0: Also, keep in mind that the the rate at which an upper level temperature change moves downward in the limestone from one depth to another is proportional to the temperature differences between the successive depths. So as the gradient becomes smaller and smaller with increasing depth, the time that it takes for a change in the surface temperature to affect the air in a cave greatly Increases. You know, let's
1: think about it this way. At a depth of 11 meters, the effect of the winter's cold is felt in the cave the following summer. But at greater depths, the effect of a marked rise or fall in average surface temperature may not become apparent for hundreds or thousands of years. Man. Oh, yeah. So the temperatures at the lower depths, they may be regarded as what we may call fossil temperatures. See, I like that. That, That's creepy.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. It's hard to comprehend temperature as kind of like a fossil record. But, but, yeah. But, you know, this is something we need to keep in mind when we're talking about caves. Could yeah. be the following spring, but we're still seeing a, la- a lapse rate.
1: And it helps us in caves and, and other water studies or air studies. We'll do isotopic clocks to note what a temperature may have been. Yeah. But this gives like an actual check, right? Like, yeah. A real data point that we can see if our, our isotope signatures <laughs> are working. So, yeah,
0: it's, it's a good, uh, I guess, a fail safe too. So, yeah. and they've actually come up with a formula for that. So the formula for approximating the depth in meters X at which temperature change of one degree C results in limestone from a cyclic surface temperature change lasting T years is X equals 3.18 times the square root of T times the logarithm of N, where the logarithm N is the natural logarithm of the surface temperature <laughs> fluctuation N in degrees Celsius.
1: Yeah, and probably the oldest climactic event that might conceivably be recorded in a cave is the last cold stage of the Pleistocene right before all the melting (laughs) happened. But that's the last like big ice age, right? Yeah. So assuming that the cycle of which it was part of, or it began about 40,000 years ago and the average low temperature reached was 10 degrees Celsius lower than at the present. So that formula, it indicates that the temperature effect of this last glaciation would now equal one degree Celsius at a depth of
0: 1,464 meters. Man, maths for the win. Yeah. Man, so I At, at that depth we can still see the, the changes taking effect
1: yeah. uh, I love it I love it we it's, should give everyone homework no just kidding I just wanted to see people be like <laughs> send us answers of that equation so
0: like, did yeah. they say did they do their math
1: right Yeah, yeah <laughs> well so let's see how we can use this and apply it like the good scientists we are
0: then onward we go so some examples of this so in France the deepest cave so far discovered in the world the Pierre Saint-Martin cave is measured to be a depth of about 1,474 oh meters so thus using the equation and informations we just learned. The temperature near the bottom of Saint Pierre Martin presumably reflects the average annual temperature of the region as it was as long as long ago as forty thousand years ago. That's insane. Yeah, and, and
1: so cool. Yeah, um, and how? Like, not it, only like it's so cool. It's that deep. Like yeah, that's insane. That's it's that's quite a significant depth. Um, but like the fact that near its base is about. 40,000 years ago. Yeah. That's the, what the, the temperature at the, the surface. Yeah. It was right? about 40,000 years ago. Yeah. I'm going to pull, um, I'm going to go for my second whiskey pour. I'm sorry. Well, you poured it a little uh, shallow. I was, the first I was a little conservative, but that's going to do. That's going to do.
0: That's going to do. It's got to do. It will. No more. I'm also oh. sad. Yeah. We haven't finished this bottle of whiskey yet.
1: That is sad, but I've been on gin lately. Have you? Yeah. It's oh, slow. Ugh. I don't know. Well, you got to mix it with, you know, tangeray, cranberry. It's nice. Yeah. Okay, back to geology and not alcohol. Yeah, alcohol. Um, Okay, so let's talk about caves that contain perpetual ice. Yeah, it's a a thing. Northern caves, that they lie at high altitudes. They'll have below freezing temperatures if the average annual temperature of the surface is less than zero degrees Celsius. uh And because these caves commonly contain ice all year round, they're what we call ice caves. Fun fact. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in fact, extremely large crystals of ice can grow in these ice caves. And then the actually the floors of such caves are usually coated with a transparent sheet of ice made up of hexagonal prisms anywhere mm. from up to two to five centimeters in diameter and standing vertically. So the the, the honeycomb shaped boundaries between the crystals are clearly visible on the surface of the ice, which yeah. is pretty cool if you've seen pictures I mean, of them.
1: Yeah, that is really awesome. So ice is a really beautiful thing once you see it in its crystal glory, right? With ice, so large plate-like crystals with well-developed crystal faces, they can grow on cave walls and ceilings much like any other mineral, like especially calcite we'll talk about later. Yeah, But the crystals are usually formed by deposition directly from atmosphere in the cave. So almost like a rhyme
0: you know like dew but
1: it's that frost
0: yeah so like that's actually the so it's going straight from the gas phase to the solid phase yeah which is cool so some caves function as cold traps and may become ice caves even though the average surface temperature in their vicinity is above freezing so cold trap caves are generally bottle shaped extending downward Mm. from their entrances
1: yeah think about it like a glass coke bottle so in the winter dense cold air flows into the cave fills it from the bottom and then in the summer circulation will cease and then the cold air is trapped in the cave so the caves may have temperatures nearly 10 degrees Celsius below what would be expected from their latitude and altitude yeah
0: so then the, we're really seeing that that density difference like it, they don't mix like right, right. so that's heavier and cold air so it has
1: stratified yeah, temperatures
0: uh, yeah in the cave so it's that that just it just stays cold yeah that's pretty cool yeah. so these cold trap caves in limestone are relatively rare but limestone stone caves seldom have the required relationship between passages and entrances. However, the the lava tubes, on the other Mm. hand, almost always have the necessary shape because their entrances are holes formed by the collapse of part of the ceiling.
1: Yeah, so there's some pretty interesting groups of lava tube ice caves of this type in um, in Lava Beds National Monument in California and in the Craters of the Moon National Monument in Idaho that you can visit. I guess let's
0: shift our focus a little bit to the relative humidity because mm-hmm. it plays a role in all of this. So if we remember from our last cave episode, we talked a little to this of the air of most caves is saturated with water vapor, I think towards the end. Yeah. Of, sorry.
1: Yeah. So in other words, this is not good for uh, tuberculosis, <laughs> TB treatment. patients, yeah, but the you know the relative humidity is a hundred percent, yeah. So you cut it uh, through with a, yeah. with a dull butter knife, <laughs> yeah. So and if you've been in a cave, you you would know, like you feel sticky afterwards, yeah. and it's like I didn't sweat. It almost feels like
0: on? like it feels refreshing, but it almost feels like like you're like whenever you're you're sick and you kind of get those cold sweats yeah. where yeah. it's kind of like you're cold and sticky, and it's not a good. It, it it feels good if compared to being hot, but when you're in it for a while, you're just like you're kind of disoriented, like yeah. why you know.
1: But I'll I'll tell you why. So okay. it's because the ceilings, walls and floor they're all moistened by seeping water, seep Seeping is such a wonderful word. Like we use seepage. Seepage is like in every report I write. And it's like, that is a terrible word.
0: Yeah, it's like meat. (laughs) Seep.
1: (laughs) But the air, it basically must pass by as it moves slowly through. So the water is moving and the air interacts, right? Yeah. So the constant temperature of the inner part of the cave permits the high humidity to be maintained indefinitely.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then near the entrances to caves, however, the humidity may be lower, partly because of the outside humidity is usually lower and partly because the cave temperature differs from the outside temperature. So a fall in temperature increases the humidity and a rise in the temperature increases. So what we see is in the summer, warm air entering a cool cave soon becomes saturated without absorbing any of that water from the cave walls. And then in the winter, what we see is that the air becomes warmer as it enters the cave. And for a short distance, its humidity actually
1: falls. Right, and in deeper in the cave, however, the humidity of of the air slowly rises to the saturation level. Yeah. So the opposite effect occurs in caves which the air currents flow outward. And in the winter, the saturated air, it'll extend all the way to the entrance. In the summer, the humidity may be uh, low just inside the entrance where the outward moving saturated air first becomes warmed.
0: Okay, so yeah, we're seeing this, this kind of mixing going on. So yeah. this, this leads us into air currents caused by barometric changes Ooh. near the entrances. So I know we've talked about barometric pressures yeah. with the but <laughs> But um, uh, so the, the parts of the cave near entrances are ventilated by an exchange of air with the outside. So this exchange is going to vary as a function of the, the constantly changing pressures of the outside atmosphere. And then the surface barometric pressure changes are of two types. So we have the periodic and we have non-periodic.
1: The most important periodic change is it's a 24-hour fluctuation. So it, it results from the difference in temperature of the air between day and night. And during the day... The air is warmed and it becomes less dense uh-huh. um, and then the pressure will fall. Yeah. But at night it cools and condenses and pressure rises.
0: Yeah. So we kind of see this this back and forth because yeah. we talked about the, if you have the, you know, I was trying to just even, you, sh- you don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever like sat there and thought I'm like, why is things when it's less dense? Like, cause density is mass over volume. Yeah. Right. right. So. If you have this mass of air and you expand it, it yeah, ha- it it, 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 it <laughs> air is weird. No, but like even with water, it does the same thing. So, like uh, if you warm it up, it it. So if you have if it's a volume, right? And let's say you have one over ten, so that's yeah. right. But if you increase the volume, so over one over twenty, what is that? That's one point or 5, 5 versus point one. So it's it's going to have a tendency to rise. But if you were to reduce that space and you make it. Uh, 1 over 5 that's point .2 so mathematically you can see that it's uh well, I guess it's 2 cuz it's 1 over no never mind but anyways but yeah he, yeah but the molecules they're they're more spaced out but like they have the they cool but anyways
1: whatever right it's like what does that look like molecularly in that if you took one plane of that looked at it why like what does that actually look like and i i they know that like atoms will interact more vigorously in certain areas and that's why they're allowed to spread out yeah but it's
0: and the volume is they just it's the mass over the volume yeah Yeah. it's weird and then the temperature they get i don't know so anyways (laughs) (laughs)
1: anyways yeah it's too, it, it's easily explained in a textbook, but yeah. when you stop and think about yeah, but I, visualizing the, I
0: know, yeah, but I was trying to do that with the math numbers. Like, so if you take that space, yeah. you have like 10 units and then you make it 20, but one over 20 is what? 0.05. Yeah. I'm still but stuck so now, on
1: like what the fabric of, of whatever we're talking about would look like. Well, we should do an episode where we try to make sense of physics. Yeah. <laughs> I will definitely. But will no go. notes, no notes. It's no just notes. Like, just, just, how
0: can we talk our way through this? That's so crowded. <laughs> method our way. Under (laughs) what? Anyways, okay, so normally then the air will begin to flow (laughs) into a cave at sunset and will begin to flow out at sunrise. So the the non-periodic changes in a barometric pressure are those related to the weather, such as, for example, the the pressure changes that accompany the passage of a storm front. And then we see that these are superimposed upon the daily fluctuation and then the cave pressure adjusts itself to conform to the resultant effect of both.
1: Yeah, because a cave usually Usually consists of a, a series of small tortuous. That's that's a nice word. I, I like. like that I, one. We we use that a lot at work too. Like a tortuous path. Yeah, like, yeah. But it, it's these interconnected passages, right? With they have re- relatively small entrances entrances, but um, a considerable time is required or may be required for the air moving through the cave to equalize cave air pressure with outside air pressure to come at this equilibrium. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then the the air in most caves is therefore almost Constantly in motion, adjusting itself to the surface changes, and then usually these air currents are so slow that they can be detected only with instrumentations.
1: In constricted passages or at small entrances to large caves, air currents caused by the surface barometric changes they're sometimes detectable as light breezes on your face, right? And it's yeah. that like you come out of the cave and you're like, oh, okay, it's nice again. Yeah. Uh, but but stronger cave winds, some of which are whoa whoa that, that Mustang. The monster of the cave we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> i mean, nope, but i <laughs> Cobalt. <laughs> Cobalt. <laughs> He's back. He's back. Uh, Go away, Cobalt. Yeah. But no. So, <laughs> <so>, Read. <laughs> Stronger cave winds uh, there, which are veritable gales. We'll we'll say that. I like gales is a nice like stormy word, but they're generally caused not by barometric change, but by a chimney effect. Right. So then we have these chimney and reverse
0: chimney effects that you were just talking about. So in some caves, they have uh, two entrances. So one higher at the other. So a fairly strong air current usually or issues persistently from one entrance or the other. And then these caves are called blowing caves caves. (laughs) 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 They have glory holes in them. That's what they're set up a sheet. (laughs) Anyway, so they they normally have an annual cycle in which air blows out um, of the lower entrance all summer and out of the upper entrance all winter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In the winter, a blowing cave (laughs) Functions in the same way as a, as a chimney. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so cold air will enter the lower entrance and it's warmed in the cave because the temperature equals the average annual temperature of the surface. Yeah. And then it rises as warm air does, I guess. We don't really know. It does, but it doesn't. Yeah. It goes to. I'm still stuck on. If- an area of equilibrium to create yeah. It, it yeah we're getting too deep in that yeah but it it'll rise and it'll emerge from the upper entrance of this blowing cave
0: yeah so <laughs> i don't know why my brain automatically goes to Gollum putting on that ring and that's what's really blowing you you can't see him <laughs>
1: you just all up on you just, you, going, you just don't question it <laughs>
0: My precious. Oh, God. Yeah, so in the summer, like you were saying, the movement is reversed. So because the air inside the cave is colder than the outside air, it's going to flow out through the lower entrance while air flows in at the upper entrance.
1: The steady current of humid air issuing from a blowing cave, it often causes a lush growth of moss. Mm. uh, And it forms at the entrance. In the humid air, it'll also condense in the winter, forming a vapor column that's visible. Like You see this shroud of... Like the the denser air,
0: steamy. Yeah. 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 So speaking of steamy, we haven't done this in a while, and I think this would make a great time for a little bit of mineral, mineral minutes,
1: mineral, mineral,
0: (laughs) mineral minutes. Mm.
1: Minerals. minerals. I love
0: minerals. <laughs> so this week's minerals brought to you by the hydrated calcium urinal vanadate. <laughs> <laughs> to Yuma
1: moonite. To you. To we to we, to we did one like this. To you, you benites, Chemical formula: CaUO22V2O8 to
0: eight? Eight? H2O. Yeah, no, we're in the uranium series, so all these are yeah. going to be some sort of... Um, yeah, so, yeah. Yamunite is a bright canary yellow color mineral due to the high uranium content, <laughs> and also because Yamunite <laughs> high uranium content makes it radioactive. <laughs> <Do> you-
1: <laughs> Dang it. Tayuyamunite was named by... <laughs> <laughs> Konstantin Avtonomakovic Nenadkevic <laughs> In nineteen twelve after its type locality Tuyuya Muyen Fergana Valley Kyrgyzstan.
0: Yeah, so oh, okay. Tuyuhamunite <laughs> is orthorhombic dipyramidal and mm. has a earthy to dull clay-like texture with no visible crystalline affinities. Or mm. it may also be scaly, like the the
1: morphology like fish scales. Uh, yeah, Ah, oh, There, I said it. It sometimes has a habit of like a platy sheen form, such as micas, with cleavage is perfect on the zero, zero, 001 plane, but it is micaceous and distinct on 100 zero, zero and 010. Zero, one, zero. So Tayuya
0: Moonite has a hardness of 1.5 to 2 and has a specific gravity of 3.57 to
1: 4.35. Two... <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're missing See, a whole
1: syllable. To is is translucent to opaque, with adamantine, waxy, pearly on one zero one dull luster. Yeah.
0: So tauya moonite fluoresces and is biaxially, biaxially negative. To yoi to I can't. I, it, it,
1: I think it's tauya moon. moonite is formed by the weathering of uraninite, a uranium-bearing mineral. Fancy yeah.
0: that! Yeah. So the the uh being a hydrous mineral, contains water. Yet when it's exposed to the atmosphere, it loses that water, and this process changes Moonite into a different mineral altogether, known as meta Moonite.
1: <laughs> God, we just stay, <laughs> stay tuned for next week's mineral, meadow mineral
0: Minerals. So. Uh, <laughs> what <laughs> how how I view that one in my head when I saw it is me, Tater Burnite. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh,
0: yeah. Me tater.
1: Isn't it funny though? Like I remember at field camp, like you just learn all the normal stuff in class and then you go out there and they're like, yeah, it's a meta gabbro, meta rhyolite. I'm like, really? We didn't like come up with anything else to call this? <laughs> uh, meta. Yeah. It's so meta,
0: bro. So you meta. meta. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So now what we wanted to do is trying to transition a little bit. So you mentioned last episode that we bring a little bit of applicability to some of our discussions. So a little bit is going to be the the following will be a little bit about how early cave explorers mm-hmm. went about studying the caves and we start with the breathing caves the blowing caves <laughs> the breathing caves <laughs> the breathing caves.
1: right right well okay so in a few caves the air moves inwards for a few minutes and then outwards for a few minutes this ebb and flow kind of thing and so yeah uh, as if the cave were breathing And so Burton Faust, he studied this effect at a cave in Virginia and it's now known as the breathing cave. Go
0: figure. Yeah, Good old Burton Faust. (laughs) So while waiting in a small passage near the entrance for the the remainder uh, of his party to come out, Faust noticed an unusual reversal of the air current in the passage and lit a candle to study the effect further. So he had that candle we were talking about at the beginning but you I guess he was closer to the entrance. So the candle was first deflected by the moving air towards the interior of the the cave and then after standing upright for a moment it was actually the wind was deflected towards the entrance so this cycle subsequently repeated itself again and again and again and <laughs> again
1: yeah, the breathing is at the inner end of a, a straight passage it was about 45 meters long known as in this cave the entrance passage inward from this point the cave continues as an extensive series of rooms so about three meters nearer the surface a lateral opening to the north leads to an, yet another series of rooms
0: yeah, yeah. So in an effort to learn more about this phenomenon, a series of simultaneous observations of the air velocity was made in May 1955 in entrance passage, breathing passage, and the north passage. So a somewhat irregular air current blew continuously from the entrance into the north passage past the mouth of the breathing passage.
1: At the same time, the air in breathing passage, it oscillated with a cycle of about a minute long. The breathing cave phenomenon, it could be compared with that of a compound Hemholtz resonator. Yeah. Yeah. So a familiar example of one of these is a cider jug. So yeah, basically when one blows across the mouth, of the jug, it'll set up vibrations that can be heard like as a low musical note, and we do these with beer bottles, yeah. all the time, right? But the air in the jug, it acts like a spring, so it's it's compressing and expanding with each resonant frequency. Yeah, should. yeah,
0: with that certain resonance frequency. Yeah, so a breathing cave is rather like a gigantic, very irregular jug, but it's but its great size makes the oscillation of the air mass inside the cave much too slow to produce an audible note. That would be creepy, wow, yeah. right? If it was a little bit more like just eh, that would that would definitely like the ancients would probably have some mystery glory oh, yeah. like mystics so so a formula <laughs> for approximating the the breathing cycle of the jug shaped cave operating as a simple Helmholtz resonator can be calculated by the following equation so we have t equals 0.019 times the square root of the the log of v over s where t is the period of the breathing cycle in seconds s is the cross sectional area of the neck like breathing passages in square meters. L is the length of the passage in meters and V is the volume of the cave beyond in cubic meters.
1: The complicated... Passages of breathing cave in Virginia. They make it difficult to insert the dimensions into the equation for this sim- the simple Helmholtz. Oh, and I think I just thing.
0: misspoke. So I, I said log over v, but it's actually just the point zero one nine times the square root of l times v over s. Just the length, so, yeah, yeah, okay. length. So so. Moreover, when we attempt to insert them, we find that the the breathing period predicted by the equation to be shorter than the actual breathing time of the cave.
1: Right, and so to me, this it suggests that the simple jug model doesn't apply to this cave and, the, and we got to calculate the period of a compound Hemholtz resonator rather than that of a simple one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that seems to make sense. And that's really, I think, because of the, the resonance in a compound resonator in which several large air chambers are actually connected by the small tubes is going to make it lower than that of a simple resonator of that same volume.
1: The triggering agent for some breathing caves is probably turbulence in the wind blowing past the entrance. And then the velocity of the wind here is less important for the resonator. It, it's going to respond to minor disturbances in the airstream that are in phase with the resonant frequency.
0: Yeah, right. So the breathing cave Virginia seems to be much more favorably arranged for this phenomenon than that of a cave. Shouldn't be chewing ice when I'm doing this. <laughs> I can just hear it going... So Breathing Cave Virginia seems to be much more favorably arranged for this phenomenon than that of a cave that depends on random wind movement across its entrance. So these these irregular but consistently inward movements of the air into North Passage in May suggest that this passage serves as the beginning of a chimney in which cool air moves into the north part of the cave and is warmed and goes out through the
1: higher exit. Usually the air moves between the entrance uh, and the North Passage, so we pass the mouth of the Breathing passage, either inward or outward depending on the season, yeah. but the arrangement of this junction is like that of the mouth of what we like a whistle or, or an organ pipe and the steady breath of air in an organ pipe provides vibratory energy when the lip of the pipe mouth deflects it first one way and then it'll do it the other.
0: Yeah, right, right. So the the air current, I guess, is what we're saying is actually what provides that energy and then the the resonance of the pipe determines the frequency. So precisely the the same thing, I guess we could uh, imagine in our head balls, for second is happening in the breathing cave, yeah. except that the dimensions are so large that the, the actual oscillations themselves, instead of being measured in cycles of per second, that they must be
1: measured in cycles per hour. And then there's the case of ebb and flow of springs. And so the water flow from some of these large springs in limestone, it, it exhibits a curious pulse, pulsing, pulsating action. Yeah, uh, Every few hours a surge of water is about 10 times the base flow. It'll erupt from the spring. So that process, it triggers is this ebb and flow. It's not really there's not a definite known quantity or reason. Yeah. But enough has been learned about the phenomenon to ascribe it to tentatively to an intermittent siphon.
0: Yeah, so I, I believe in most cases, the study of ebb and flow systems necessarily has been restricted to the measurements of changes in the flow of outside springs. But research that has been done under the direction of uh, SR fault at Big Spring in California, affects in the, the Lilburn cave, 700 meters away from the Big Spring, and about 10 meters higher and have also been observed and compared with those taking place simultaneously outside.
1: In the early phases of that study at at Lilburn Cave, the speleologists inside the cave, they clocked a slow rise of ponded water, which was then succeeded by a sudden flushing. Yeah. While others at at Big Spring, they noted a steady increase in flow that was followed by an abrupt flood.
0: So to extend the period of observation and to increase the precision of the time correlation between the events at big spring and little burn cave you felt or all felt the oil field all well he set up a permanent water level gauge at the spring And for special observation periods, installed pressure transducers in the cave pool and at the spring itself, both recording electronically on a single chart.
1: The recordings show that the ebb and flow action, it's confined to periods of a moderately high runoff from snowpack and and from rains. So the sudden discharge, it commonly occurs in groups in which each successive flood has lesser flow than the previous one. Okay,
0: so it's going to be it's gonna be getting less and less each time. Yeah, so yeah. both the numbers of the floods in a group and the quantity of water released in the first flood are clearly dependent on the length of time elapsed since the end of the last group of floods. And then an especially long period without floods is followed by an abnormally large surge and also by a greater than average number of subsequent surges.
1: In addition to that flushing action, the detailed recordings both in the cave and at the spring, they show oscillations that have a period of about 100 seconds And these oscillations, they're almost exactly out of phase with each other at the two sites. And it suggests that the cave and the spring are part of a U tube, like not the like a U-shaped valley. (laughs) Not not the video streaming site. But it's a U-shaped oscillating system. Yeah, right. I can see that. Yeah. In which the water it'll move from one end to the other end with a characteristic frequency.
0: So when they're out of phase, it's kind of like they're
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. So, but yeah, what they saw is that the identical period of the oscillations in indicates that during the flushing, a water connection between the cave and spring is continuous. And then the oscillations end abruptly in the cave after the, the flushing, really, when the, the water resumes its slow
1: rise. Flushing may occur in the system when the water enters the cave too fast, so it can't be handled by spillover at the at the apex of the siphon and the water then rises in the cave until it impinges against the ceiling at the apex and then the siphon action is then established so the water in the cave reservoir it'll have rapid drawdown to a level where air will be able to enter the system from the air filled part of the cave and it breaks that siphon action
0: okay and then those those intervals between the surges might be related to the variations in the height of the youtube oscillations and then the, mm-hmm. really the the maximum amplitude of these is about 25 percent of the total water level fluctuations of that cave system.
1: When the oscillations are high, the water, it it may impinge against the ceiling early and it establishes a siphon more quickly. And so it reduces that the time interval in between the surges.
0: Yes. And this uh, this hypothesis, it provides an explanation of occurrences of surges in groups. So really after a long, steady period of water rise in the cave, presumably with little oscillation, a large surge finally occurs and it's really going to set into motion a train of strong oscillations back and forth
1: at the end of of the first surge that siphon breaks but that happens before all the water in the passages that constitute the upper reservoir that can drain towards the sump so there's a potential for subsequent surges and it remains in that the still amply full reservoir, it'll be still full, right? Yeah. And these are triggered by the persisting oscillations in the U-shaped tube between the siphon and the spring.
0: Right, right. And then eventually that that water in the upper reservoir is depleted and then the oscillations are going to ultimately die out and a period of recharge passes before the next group of the surges take place. So really we see this, this type of ebb and flow action is not unique to the system at Little Burn Cave in California. And then at ebb and flow spring missouri an almost identical relation is observed between the length of the time preceding a group of surges in both the surge height and the number of surges in the group itself so yeah
1: that is our
0: little, little bit of case studies. How they, but
1: I mean, it's kind but of,
0: it's, it's interesting that, you know, they're putting the two together because it's like this, uh, it's built up and then. Yeah.
1: Ch- ch- well, it shows that like the difference in just like, I think of the progression of that experiment and study is yeah. you noticed a weird phenomenon and you tested it to see, okay, is it real? And like, what's the, the period in it? Yeah. How, how often is the oscillation via the candle observed? Yeah. then you go even deeper. And that's where, you know, as scientists, we strive for that deeper study.
0: Yeah, so I wondered if the... If the breathing, I mean, I guess it's not the these two phenomena aren't aren't happening in the same cave system, but I wonder if, maybe, they, if, but yeah. I wonder if that that siphon, you know, where it cuts it, if that restricts the airflow, and then you know, as it it drops, it's like sucking air in. If I'm it shouldn't sure have anything, but yeah. I, but that, I guess the air is more related to the the, the temperature and densities yeah. rather than the water. But I'm sure maybe somewhere, but and I'm not a speleologist, but it'd no. be cool to.
1: But like it, it also mentioned in the study, the innumerable passages and like those are formed from different, which we'll talk about in a minute, different joints. Yeah. So you have different avenues for air transport within it. So you could have micro breathing cave environments. And then what, And then
0: what's interesting too, is, you know, we talked about on the first one is that whenever the cave is actually exposed to air, it stops the the dissolution <laughs> part and the caves aren't being formed anymore. Yeah. But it, you still have all these other interactions that might lead to furthering... Weakening and creating the more passages. No, I guess more ca- passages aren't being formed, but it's being, I guess, eroded away. You know, what I'm saying weathered away weathered away weathered away man <laughs> so that was just a little bit of some i guess a little bit about caves that you may or may not have known but we'll continue our discussion we'll talk a little bit about them a little bit more some famous caves in texas
1: yeah yeah i uh i thought we could talk about natural bridge caverns what do you think about that
0: i like natural bridge cavern okay. i was just there this summer it's wonderful right this summer yeah <laughs> no it was, it's, <clears throat> it's 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 a pretty sweet cave. Yeah. It was the last Speleology special that we did, that that picture that we used for the the Instagram post. That was was actually a picture Uh, I took. Yeah.
1: Well, so I'll just say that this cave, it it occurs in central Texas. And it's- that whole we'll call it the Edwards Plateau is an ideal place for cave formation in karstic environments. And it it's due to abundant carbonate lithologies and major faulting that resulted in what we would say is preferential pathways for water.
0: Yeah, yeah. So really, so in general, the the early Cretaceous rocks that make up the, I guess, the margin of the Edwards Plateau have a relatively shallow down dip gradient, which results in the high amounts of water infiltration into the those carbonate rocks.
1: Yeah. So natural bridge capture it began forming in the early Cretaceous with the Glen Rose and Edwards formations during that deposition. But really, the, the cave formation started during the Miocene when the Balcones fault zone was formed. And this was large scale normal faulting. So, just so you kind of put it in your head. The city, Austin was dropped 700 feet from its original elevation. That's, that's nuts because <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: we see the, the Glenrose Rose formation up here with all yeah. the or the oyster shells, like right. even just right up the road from here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that, that level, that's where we have, why we have the hill country. Yeah. Um, just, just so you, everyone else knows, but, but the, this, this fault zone's paramount and, and the, they're usually paramount in other, in other areas, but in, karstic condition development. So fractures, fault planes, stress relief joints, these formed and they're all attractive things for one particular thing and that's water. The uh, dihydroxy,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, dioxygenated, di- yeah, di- hydroxygenated, yeah, di- oxygenated. <laughs> <hydrogenated>, oxygen, <anyways. laughs> so yeah, so, so what, what we're seeing here is that the, the water flowed into these joints and at different velocities, which began to carve out and dissolve the Edwards formation. So we talked a little bit to this the last time, like the the, tur- the turbulence in it, like but it was yeah. really cool. So, but when inclined fractures, and joints were reached, the water would traverse down into these older layers and dissolution would occur quicker and more soluble layers that contained less silt and clay, silly plastics. <laughs> Yes. silly the, the the funny sandstones
1: yes well eventually the water here it reached the upper glint rose beds and dissolution rate would increase again due to there's massive reef carbonates they have high calcite to clay mineral ratios eventually large collapse sinkholes formed and the cave was then enlarged we talked about the pleistocene earlier about the ice age but during the the Pliocene and Pleistocene, large scale floods occurred in much of the continent, but especially here in central Texas, part of why I have a job to study these things. But surficial expressions of these, these would be landforms such as fluvial terraces. And in this area near there, the Uvalde formation is a fluvial gravel deposit, like chert and limestone class. But these are all present everywhere. And so these, these massive floodwaters converged on an entrance point to the cave much like what we'd call like a blind valley and an arroyo kind of thing. And basically they all converged on one point and high velocity flows carved out these passages.
0: Okay, so it wasn't the really the, so it was the velocity rather than the... It's different stages. Okay.
1: So it's so like,
0: this, so the caves were already kind of like there and then it
1: just kind of like eroded away yeah. more so. And you can tell that like the, the surface of the rock walls will be different.
0: Yeah, because so, I mean, we talked a little bit about that too, like the, how they have the grooves in them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, uh, so after all of this, so when we talk about natural bridge cavern, it's uh, afterwards a lone bridge in resistant rock was left in near the entrance, which is where the the cave gets its namesake, right? So the bridges are the the karstic landforms that form when the sinkholes remove the strata but leave a connecting slab of rock that appears as a bridge from one rock mass to adjacent ones. So many of these sinkhole environments can exist in blind valleys where you can also find cool things like karst windows and which you can see the actual water Flowing through solution cavities from the above grade. Yeah.
1: So, one thing I I guess you would know since you've just been there, I wanted to point out the cave room names in any cave, they're epic as hell. Yeah. Like they they come up with these ridiculous, amazing names. So, James, yes, could we list off a few from natural bridge caverns, but maybe we read it like they're chapters from an epic tale of sorts? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So let's <laughs> let's let's do it, Mr. Baggins. All right, all right, okay, I'll start. Certainly, <laughs> certainly, That's that's biogenous sediment. <laughs>
1: Grendel's Canyon. The bear pit. Saint Mary's Hall.
0: <laughs> the Sherwood Forest. Now that one was cool with all the Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: is it really like the stalagmites just look like trees? It's cool. I'll yeah. I'll show you some pictures. Maybe. Okay. So I'll bring up the next one. Okay. <clears throat> The Castle of the White Giants. That's the one that I used, like
0: the the one with the, so, yeah. So, oh, no, yeah. And then the Watchover, yeah. which is the cave bacon. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> Formed by iron oxide, F-E, so humic acid.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then there's Pluto's Anteroom. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah. That's,
1: so the yeah. Valley of the Fallen Lords. <laughs> Mount of the Landlord. And you know what we
0: should be doing is- Playing some epic. I wish we had- We I could, I could we, do it again. But No, we just need more epic music, like- all I have is... Oh, that's not it.
1: Oh. Hey, that, that's pretty epic. All right. where Do you want to do it again? Yeah. Where, where are we? Pluto's Anteroom.
0: Valley of the Fallen Lords.
1: Mount of the Landlord. Emerald Lake Passage hall of the mountain king a 100 by 300 and foot row the largest room in the cave
0: death awaits us all canyon no i'm just <laughs> kidding <laughs> yeah Dude. yeah
1: but you know what i mean like the names are so epic
0: yeah oh yeah like they're they're really cool man i wish i i don't know what i did with my phone or i would oh <laughs> yeah so maybe i'll post some of these because i have um oh no i don't yes i do have them on my Instagram. But you have like all these really cool ones. And like the the one that looks like bacon, it's like the, the wall ribbons. Yeah, yeah. But so
1: that stuff's cool. but this doesn't the cave go like for like thirty-four stories or something? It's like, it's
0: uh it, there's this big room and that in the uh, that big anteroom yeah. where it's like this huge open where it's massive and you have to walk all the way up and it is humid. <laughs> and it's cold, but it's hot. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, what it, is this? You know, that's where they lead us. But it goes, it it shows you like where they go down and it just keeps going down and down. And I was like, man, I want to go down there. I'm a it's, geologist. So yeah. Let me go, let me yeah. Go. I, mean, I was wearing my uh, geology on the rock shirt. So I was okay. just kind of like, I was like, well, I don't, I don't, we this.
1: should go sometime.
0: Yeah. We should just go to a cave and continue no, our podcast. speleology. Would yeah. We could do
1: a podcast in the cave. That would be
0: awesome. (laughs) We could probably, I mean, there's, yeah, I'm sure we could. Yeah, I'm sure they wouldn't. We could just sit there and, like, with a table, like, they would have tours going by, but we'd just be like, hey, this
1: is You just have this tour guide shouting. Yeah. And babies crying. But you know they people that bring babies in caves. It's like why?
0: Yeah. There was I had to help a lady up with
1: her uh stroller.
0: But you know, I wasn't I didn't I didn't complain. I was like, no. Well at least you're exposing your kids to this. Like some people
1: But it's like some of the caves, or at least the ones that I remember going to in in Missouri, they like a kid would make it all the way through. Yeah. And it's like,
0: man, like my kids, they they kind of well, at least the six-year-old is cool. The eight-year-old is kind of just like, okay, it's <laughs> all one of these things. And oh, he kept yeah. trying to like touch them, like quit trying to touch. Things. My kids like, won't
1: go like, or my oldest won't go. He's terrified of it. Why? I don't know. That's weird. Like you will play Minecraft all day about caves, but
0: yeah, we won't in. actually go in like the <laughs> yeah. Nether portals. Yeah, that's what that's how I try to. I don't know if that if that works with my students when I'm like, oh, it's like uh obsidian. <laughs> you you build with it. Yeah, andesite you build with it in Minecraft. Yeah, 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 like all the the rocks.
1: <laughs> I don't really know much about video games. How uh, d- those guys they
0: I. I, I play two video games. Battlefield and I play NHL hockey. I play Mario Kart. Yeah, I get down with some of that. <laughs> Mario Kart. Well then, um, sir, I think that will close out caves. I say let's just do a little bit of this just for continuity. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So you just had an album release. How is that? A drift abyss? abyss. Yeah, Adrift?
1: yeah. It's actually doing. A lot better than I thought it would. Really. So we like it's nice seeing emails come in like it's like on the, every hour and we get a few. And it's like Yeah. So and so purchased a drift abyss on C D for this or for on vinyl for this. So we we're in the shipping game now where it's like Constantly shipping. Always. Yeah. I wish our label would do that, but hopefully they're not listening to this. You know, it's <laughs> uh,
0: But it's, I guess part of the the process.
1: Yeah, and it, it's been a little messy with some stuff. Like we got some vinyls that weren't correct as far as color variant. Oh. And so the label didn't like that. So they got new ones. So at the show... We had the Texas variant, which I'm like, guys, we got to stop using the word variant. In <laughs> day and time, <laughs> <laughs> variation. Yeah, variation would be like better than yeah.
0: variant. <laughs> you just put the V A R dot like a uh, yeah chords oh, variation. Yeah, yeah variation. Yeah. Uh, amethyst. I like that.
1: Well, yeah. So it, but it's been going good. We're we're gearing up for fall shows and nice. When's oh. your uh, your next showing gonna be? It'll be in. Denton in on uh, November 20th. Nice. At Harvest House. So nice. Nice. I'm excited about that one. It'll be good. But what we're really trying to do is get on more national acts coming through and just being an opener for them so that at least for our local shows.
0: Yeah, no, that'd be. So how do you even go about doing that? Just knowing the right
1: people? Yeah. Knowing what company is actually... Hosting the show. Yeah. Because, um, like, the venue will be one thing, but you'll have a booking agency.
0: Yeah. So it's not really, you don't go to, like, the Palladium Ballroom and be like, hey, can I, no. can I play a show? No. It, it has yeah. to do with that, that yeah. touring right. company, right?
1: Yeah. So one of the shows we're really hoping to get on, we talked to the agency and they were like, yeah, y'all are first on the list if they want local support. It's like, why would
0: they not? Yeah. There's support? always, like, that one or two bands. Yeah. And so, y'all are at least good. Like, I've seen a couple bands that come through and the, the local show and then not we're national act. So I, I think to, I don't know what a brand new, I went to go see with Jason one time yeah. and do the, the, the band that opened, like, I was just like, was bad. what is this? Really? What is like, oh, wow. what is this? No, <laughs> I was like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, and it's like I, I feel like like way back in the day when I saw like Emorosa, Pierce Veil vale, and Dance Gavin Dance. Wow, yeah, show. when Johnny Craig was still with Emorosa. Yeah, when I saw like they played a show, but then they had I remember seeing a they had a local band open up for them, pretty tight butthole. Okay, yeah. pretty <laughs> Yeah no it was it was it was amazing. Yeah so we're actually going for in we have a show on October 22nd. I think okay. it was at the originally, the but then that following weekend, we're actually going to go to the recording studio. And we should hopefully knock out like five songs. Heck yeah. So I think we're going to have like, a, like two weeks yeah. or two weekends doing recording. And then I believe in November, we're playing in Deep element at Reno's Chop Shop. Really? Cool. Yeah. And then.
1: Well, let me know, but I'll be at the uh, October show. Yeah, for, for sure.
0: sure. So. It's you can wear a costume. I'm going to wear a costume. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Or I think I might wear a costume.
1: I wanted to do a spooky Halloween show, like, like more low lighting than we normally do. Yeah. And play some
0: just. Dude, can you, can you do like a, where you just randomly play somewhere? Like, what do you mean? Like just a pop-up? Yeah. Like, like on the street? Not like on the street. I don't <laughs> want like, like a, what is it called? Busking, busking? I don't Busker? know. Busker? What do you know? those people that play on the street? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I think like B-U-S-C-A, I don't know. No, I was saying, like, what if, like, just, like, I don't know, like, if there's, like, these outside places, like, just. No. Like, if you just got your band together, I got my band together, and we're like, hey, let's just play. We can totally do let's that. Let's just play somewhere random. Like, it doesn't have to be at a venue, per se. No,
1: you, I mean, as long as you have the audio set up.
0: Yeah, so that's what I was wondering, like. Yeah, you want to do if you want to do like a like an actual
1: Halloween show, like a house party show is really. But the danger is now we're in I guess it doesn't matter. Like at a venue here, you can't really be like you all have to be vaccinated. And yeah, I don't know House show would be cool, though. So there's a place in Fort Worth called the Black House and it's really near where I live. But they have shows and they they traditionally have had Halloween type things. I don't know who's doing it, but it's like it's an all black house. It looks like what's that movie? The min the Minion movie, whatever that is. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, His like, house. It okay, looks like, like <laughs> Cruise House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, they have like all sorts of parties and stuff there, but they have Halloween shows and I thought it'd be really cool to have this just doomy yeah. looking thing and Y'all would be good for that too.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, like, I feel like, yeah. I mean s-
1: I can ask. It might be a little late this year, but
0: but if we played it, but if we could early. do like
1: if we could find a really key location that was I've wanted to like crash a cocktail lounge with our band. Like that's my new like niche thing I want to do. Uh, is like they think we're all there and like to play some quiet set and then we'd <laughs> just, I don't know. And then they kick you off, and then we we're like, oh no, we're No, but, we're- I mean, like, we would let them know, but like, I mean, I don't know,
0: it'd be cool. Yeah. We'll see. No, oh, yeah, I, I definitely I agree with that. I agree <laughs> with that. So big things coming for yeah. music wise. If you yeah. still know any local bands that want to partake in uh, oh, interviewing yeah. and spreading we- the the words, we're still open to that. So, but until next time, I think we're gonna be a lot more consistent. Maybe weekly shows again. Finally, for the for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah, because I think uh, a lot of my stuff will slow down after after you know in a few weeks too, because it's just that time of the semester yeah. where it's just like, do you? Just crunch. Yeah, just crunch it out. So,
1: yeah, mine will be more predictable, finally.
0: (laughs) But, all right. Well, then I'm not sure what we have on the docket for next week, but we will have a show next week because you heard it first. Brian's promising it. Yep. Brian's promising it. So, and let's cheers one more time. I got a little left. Oh, that was good. But until next time, um, I guess we'll just remind you to be cool. Stay tuned. And keep it on the, the rocks. rocks. All right, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to. We didn't have, we didn't have too many, we didn't have too many screw-ups. Uh, not not after have, that. Like, we have, weren't that rusty. No, but it's not going to have as much fun with
1: that. Do you. I'm on, Nanad Nenad. Kevic. Ah, there I said it. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Do we high Mon- uh,
0: uranium content? <laughs> do
1: we It's like, why would I be talking about how beautiful something is and it's do we, deformed? <laughs>
0: do we
1: Yeah, it's a meta gabbro. Do we Meta <laughs> <laughs>